Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi folks, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal and I am a traveller who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my Melting Pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Hi listeners, welcome back to another episode of Melting Pot, which as you know is a weekly episode and it's a series of conversations with some very talented people who, in my opinion, are also change makers. Today I'm in conversation with Sharon Loudon. I hope I've the last name correctly pronounced. Uh, Sharon, firstly, thank you for talking to me. I know you're in New York and it's two or is it 2 or 2.30 a.m. for you? And thank you for staying up to, to talk to me. I really, really appreciate that. Before we get into the conversation, I just want to do a very brief introduction since I've written it up, I may as well. <laughs> so Sharon is an artist and she's also an educator. As an artist, her works have been, are actually not have been, held currently in a lot of the public and private collections in the US. She's also an editor of the Living and Sustaining a Creative Life series of books and an artistic director of the visual arts at, okay, this one you have to help me with, it's Chautauqua Institution. (laughs) So yeah, thank you once again, Sharon. I'm really happy that we are able to have this conversation. So tell my listeners and me a little bit about yourself and have you, did you always aspire to be an artist? How did that journey begin for you? Well, first of all, I just want to thank you very, very much for having me. And thank you to your listeners and also people viewing this. I'm very grateful to be in your company. Um, <laughs> this so is, an, well, it's, I, I feel much gratitude. This is a, a normal time for me to be up. So I'm happy to be talking with no, you. Okay, so I'm not going to feel guilty. <laughs> no, not at all. You picked the right right time. Um, gosh, I really don't like talking about myself too much. I like talking about other people. Um, I love sharing 
space for other people, giving platforms for other people, like in in my books, as you were so kind to mention. And then with the Chautauqua Visual Arts at Chautauqua Institution, giving opportunities to to people from all over the world in our residency program, which is multi-generational, as well as classes, visiting artist programs, galleries, et cetera. Um, where, where is this institution? It's in Western New York, and Western the New York State, and it's nearby Toronto, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. And it's this idyllic place on uh, Chautauqua Lake that's been in existence since 1874. And the website there, just to, for anybody to check out, is art.chq.org. So anyway, I feel that as far as asking the answering the question, if I've always been an artist. Um, the answer would be yes. And I never made the decision to be an artist. It just was there. And so I can't explain that. I, I guess it's just sort of natural from when I when I was young. Okay. And um, so then obviously you developed it and then you decided to start. Did you go into like studying art professionally? Did you go into, uh, you did that? I did. I, I, I studied, well, I couldn't really go anywhere else because I couldn't really do anything else very, I guess, very well or comfortably. Yeah. Uh, so I went to some fancy schools, and but they taught me a lot. And then part of my whole artistic practice is everything I do, whether it's consulting for Creative Capital or the Joe Mitchell Foundation or teaching at School of Visual Arts or Chautauqua or all these this patchwork and making work for me, it's all under one umbrella as I wear many hats. Many artists wear all different hats today. So what is the, is there any, any specific kind of art that, you know, you, you like, or you enjoy doing? What is the different mediums that you use as an artist? And is it something that so, so essentially, do you like experimenting with different kinds of art? I mean, and different sort of medium and different forms of art. Oh my gosh, you you are asking wonderful questions. Thank you. Um, you're a pro here. I think that, well, first of all, the media serves the idea for me. So it's I'm not media centric. I, I do have a love affair with a highly reflective aluminum that's very hard to find in the world. We source it out of Canada and it's uh, a beautiful material but I've also been painting doing film animation and drawing and just got into a lot of collaboration with uh, Harag Vatanian who is an artist also editor-in-chief of Hyperallergic hyperallergic.com is that website and so I right now I'm in the I'm I'm in this sort of lost valley which is exciting uncomfortable and welcoming in figuring out where my language is taking me these big installations that i do are are generally places for inclusivity including people through the media it's highly reflective so people are autom automatically included in these installations that disrupt and complement and harmonize with existing architecture. And then the film is abstract film, which is a 
nod and respect for abstract animation that's been going on since the 1920s. And then just the painting and drawing is, they're all connected, just like everything I do in my life is connected as an artist. Thank you for asking that question. No, no, that's interesting. So you try and basically piece it all together, right? The, the whole process, you connect it just so that, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't really know much about art. So this is why I'm probably sounding... Not at all. I think it's great that you're asking these questions. I talk to a lot of people every day who don't know much about the visual arts. And I think that history is, it has formed where the visual arts have been, I think, misunderstood, isolated. I think a lot of artists are viewed as being or the profession is being romantic, that maybe we're stuck in an attic with our ear cut off and that we're disturbing individuals that may seem to be eccentric. But I, I feel that with technology and technology as also includes a lot of different forms of art, which you can then then um, add on to, to what you do. So, I, I mean, I don't think, I mean... I, I doubt if artists are, I think historically, yes, maybe artists were considered to be very eccentric, as you said. But I feel that now with all these different uh, mediums that are being provided, it gives you, you're able to, I know the traditional way of expressing through your art is probably not as popular uh, with the younger generation as it used to be earlier. I, I'm guessing, I'm not sure if you have an opinion on that. I think that the integration of the visual arts in society could get much better. I think that museums are, are starting to realize that quite a bit and being able to open up not only exhibitions in white, between white walls, if you will, but also in different kind of formats and the idea of a post-exhibition world where artists can survive in different ways and share their work with technology, as you're referencing, but also engagement. And, you know, artists have been inventive in so many ways for many, many years. They've also started a lot of museums and a lot of organizations and we think out of the box but I, I I do think also for a lot of artists aside from public from the public artists sometimes like even yesterday I got an email from someone I received an email from somebody who's attending college where I did a uh, information session yesterday about Chautauqua and they wrote me and said I've realized now that I may not receive gallery representation when I graduate. Well, my jaw almost dropped to the floor because those, I think gallery in big quotes representation is very, very different than it was, or maybe it's the same. And we actually don't know what it was. And today it's all different meaning depending on the, the gallery and the artist and how they function together as a, I think, as a, a partnership. So I think there's a lot of mythology that's around the visual arts. 
And I welcome, and I'm grateful that you're having this podcast in order to bring artists forward. And that even though I'm not wearing makeup, which I never really do, but my hair is washed and I have clean clothes on right now. <laughs> and it's 3 a.m. So yes. all credit to you for looking so fresh and lovely even at 3 a.m. Oh, well, yeah, that charming smile. I mean, it's, I'd be very grumpy if someone, you know, if I had to do a, a conversation with someone at, at 3 a.m., I would try, but it wouldn't come naturally to me like it, like it is to you. So, so that's quite incredible. Are there, you know, obviously you interact with a lot of artists and are you seeing a certain trend in the way the artists are approaching is it sort of something that's very getting to be very commercial in terms of everyone's like okay I'm an artist and I'm going to the the price of my art will keep going up and it's it's going to be like um, people invest in art so is is it a trend because I know from probably 10 years ago that people would buy art mainly because they wanted it as an investment but is that something which you see a lot of or or not really it's interesting I would never recommend anyone to buy work, artwork as an investment. The reason being is that it's so unpredictable. The, the art as a luxury market is, I think, one of the very few, if not the only unregulated market, a luxury market in the world. And I, I believe that it's so much better if someone thinks about art as something that they can enjoy, windows of imagination, of pleasure. And if anything, investing in the artist and also um, for some, I think for some collectors, they love to get to know the artist. And that just depends if that relationship at both, party, both parties are open to that. I do know of some people in the market who invest in art, but it's so unpredictable as to what is going to happen in, in an artist's career. Um, and I think the artists who are in it for the long term, such as myself, I'm not concerned about that as much as yeah. the longevity. I, I think that everyone has a different def definition of success as an artist and for me, it's just A, being healthy, B, having the privilege of being able to make my work and live as an artist uh, as I have been. I mean, that is a tremendous gift where I think very, I think not as many artists have that opportunity, whereas they are, are not able to spend as much time on their work, perhaps. I also think that it's a, a myth that artists um, may not have, let's say, a job. And if they have a job, it doesn't mean to me, just because an artist has a, has a job somewhere doesn't mean that they're any less of an artist. So that kind of mythology of the artist alone is success by those sales, to me, that, that's actually not true. I mean, look at all the artists 
that have like Louise Bourgeois, for example, yeah. she had been making her work for her entire life. And it was only until I think her 60s when her work was then, quote, discovered. And so I, I feel that the timing of things that the market comes knocking doesn't have anything in a way to do with the life of the artist. Um, I also know that artists who are, quote, successful by the deem by the marketplace also have their ups and downs. Yeah. As I, I have found that as quickly as an artist rises in a market, they could come down as quickly as they, they rose. And what, um, what could be the reasons for that? You know, I think longevity makes a big difference. I think that the marketplace is fairly conservative, honestly. And I think that there has to be something proven to a degree. Um, back to your initial question about trends, I, I, I think it's hard to gauge trends. But but yesterday I sat on a admissions panel and I, I looked at a lot of artists' work that are young and who are out there in the world. I think that there's a lot of identity-based work out there. I think that uh, from a lot of different cultures that is expanding or, you know, I think the art history, the art historical, the canon of art history needs to be severely decolonized and because it's been based on Western culture. And so now we're seeing a, a I think, a great mass of artists from different cultures that are coming together because the art world is so global. And quite frankly, there are so many different art worlds to concentrate on and not just the one that is, is run by these very large, uh, substantial galleries that make an impression. Yeah. And so I guess as, an, as a young, like you mentioned earlier, that there was a student who, um, who wrote to you, sent an email saying that, you know, his or her, he would not get represented by a gallery. So, mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that, yeah, that goes to show that there are some galleries, I guess, all over the globe. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. That have positioned themselves in such a way that, you know, they just want to show show themselves as galleries that only accept art from of artists who have a certain reputation, you know, or who, yeah. So, so yeah, but I think it's, it's, it's quite interesting because art is a form of expression, like you said earlier, and it's also personal. I mean, for me personally, I, whatever artwork I may have is not because I am looking at it long term in terms of how it will convert for me financially. But it's more because I like it on my walls, you know, and it, and it could be for whatever reasons. And I think that's, that's the kind of collector I am. So and I enjoy it. Uh, I may not understand a lot of it. But it, it's again, perception, the way I look at it could be very different from the way someone else looks at the same art piece. So yeah, so so that's interesting. So tell me and my listeners a little bit about the series, the books. You're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me, Payal, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. Oh, I'd love to do that. Before I do that, I want to just comment. I'm looking at your what's behind you and seeing I saw some of the artwork that I see behind you. And, you know, I think that what people collect says a lot about themselves. There's a lot of validity in things that create an intangible language, meaning what is felt. And I think we discount that a lot. The other thing I I will just uh, what you mentioned about expression really resonated with me because artists contribute to the well-being of others by sharing their personal visual vocabularies that could be perhaps only understood by the intangible. But how many things have we really we really experience every single day that are based in intangible? Music, uh, food, what other things that contribute to the well-being of others, a, a sense of being in the here and now, something that inspires our imagination, thinking differently. Th- those are all huge, huge things that visual artists or, or, or all of us experience and something that is intangible. And as you said about expression, the visual arts or all of the arts are about the freedom of expression. Yeah. And, and we are an example of what that means. And, um, you know, I'm always interested in how parents, at least in this country, say that their children are geniuses when they can make this incredible drawing, right? But then somehow along the way, they don't want them to take on being an artist further because somehow it's not as serious as, let's say, another profession. And what I find is that, you know, well, at least for me, I find that an artist's life is the is a life and you can still be creative and do other things. I just don't think that should be discounted. So when I did these books so in 2011, and thank you for asking about them, 
I was moderating a panel for the College Art Association Conference, which happens every year in different parts of the United States. And I was moderating a panel called How to Make a Living with or Without a Gallery. And in the audience, there was about 400 people standing room only. And I remember saying to the audience, wow, it's really great that you're here, but it's not so great that you're here because it shows this dependency on an old system. Now, the, the, I want to just preface by saying the market is one, just one aspect of artists sustaining a creative life. And I think it really serves maybe a little bit more than the 1% or just the 1% of artists globally. So what about the 99%? I mean, how do they sustain their lives? And what books are out there that start a conversation about who is really an artist today beyond the mythology? What is the truth that how people, how artists are actually having their lives both in the art world and then giving to other artists or starting things like museums like and nonprofit organizations. And so the two books that I did, Living and Sustaining a Creative Life, and then The Artist as Culture Producer, have each 40 artists each in those books, very short essays that start a conversation about the nitty gritty of how they sustain their lives. And the first book is in its- So you interviewed them. I did not. It's all in, all. I interviewed only one person and then for the conclusion in my first book. And then my second book were zero interviews. So most of them are in their own voices, no advice. So it's as if someone is, the reader is tapping the artist from the back and then they turn around and share their story as if they met them in person. And it shows a wide range enough that artists who are reading from all over the world can really take on maybe some of their paths and gain some validation and feel that they have empowerment with what they're doing and how they're living in the world. My books are sold in 24 countries. And then my first book is in its seventh printing. And my second book is in its second printing. And they're still going. It's it's extraordinary how the reach has them, been. Uh, so you have them um, translated as well into all these different languages. Well, actually, that's up to the... The publisher. It, no, it's up to a publisher in, in that country in that, that country, wants to yeah. translate it. So yeah. we have it translated in Korean. So... It is in uh, South Korea right now and in libraries and classrooms and museums. We, I don't recall, if, I think we had an inquiry from China, but we are open to translating in all languages since they're sold in 24 countries. Yeah, which is um, why I thought it would make sense for, you know, for uh, them to be translated as well into different languages. I think it would yeah. then open up the the number of people who are who have access to it and who are able to read it in case they don't they don't know English. No, that's that's really interesting because I, and and encouraging for artists who are at that stage in their lives where you know they don't know how to take it forward um, in terms of um, them being artists. And yeah, and so a lot of people, I, again, it's probably something which, you know, has been said for 
ever that artists are very sensitive people. And um, I don't know, is there some, something in there? Or, and why is it that artists are always referred to as very, very sensitive people? Well, I think artists share their vulnerability, which yields to a lot of strength. The amazing thing about artists are that we can bounce back from failure very quickly because if we make something where most artists I know are not going to stop making work if they, if they want to correct their things that they deem as mistake. Um, they're some of the hardest people, hardest working people. And also many artists don't realize, but we come from a place of abundance and not a deficit because yeah. we have, we make things from nothing. Yeah. And those ideas come to fruition in independent vocabularies that each artist has. I think the reason why that we're perceived with sensitivity is because of that mythology, but also because we're revealing our vulnerability and also because we're not understood for many reasons. I think because of this exclusivity that we are not as integrated in society and some certainly not in this country as much as I'd like to see it. In other countries, we are much more integrated in society in many different ways. Yeah. Uh, a, a dream that I have is for artists to be in residence in all different sectors all over the world and to actually share resources because we have a tremendous amount of them. Tapping into, like I said, that creative thinking and practice into thinking into the intangible, which I don't think a lot of people know how to do nor have the courage to do. Yeah, I so, think that's, that's more it, that they don't have the courage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, but you are clearly a creative person. You know, you are asking these intelligent, insightful questions and sitting in a room with all that artwork behind you. I think that, that people also don't have to be a, like a, a dignified collector, if you will, or, or someone who feels as though that, that they will never understand art. So they, they, they're not creative or can't collect it. Well, if people would just drop those ideas and just just even breathe what they see and if they like it, it has validation for them. Yeah. No, um, absolutely. And also aesthetics. Yeah, that, you know, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, you did say I can't remember whether because we've we've talked about so many different things. I can't remember whether you mentioned it before we started the, the, the recording or during, but you did say that it reflects, looking at what you see around you reflects the personality of That's correct. the person. So, yeah, so, and you're absolutely right. Yes, visual arts is, of course, your expertise and that's what you're known for and highly, you're held in very high esteem. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's um, that's extremely kind of you. I just hope that I'm held in that high esteem through my friends and my family. You know, that's that's the people that I have to to make sure that I am. <laughs> but I 
I'm super grateful for that. Thank you very, very kindly. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I believe that, which is why I'm having this conversation with you in the first place. Yeah, but art has many, many forms. You know, like I am a voice artist. Uh, That's correct. So that is an art form as well. And, right. uh, and being, uh, being an, a podcaster is an extension of that art form. So, yeah, I mean, art comes in so many different, different ways, even if it could be performing arts or, or it could be puppetry or whatever, you know. So, uh, yeah, I guess performing arts, puppetry would be a part of performing arts anyway. Oh, no question. There's an incredible... Uh, I'm sure there are incredible programs for puppetry all over the world, but in the United States at University of Connecticut, there's an incredible puppetry program there. And I think there's that intersects uh, acting, performance, theater and stage and the visual arts and music all together. And, and voice, yeah, and voice. Correct, and yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. So, I mean, there is a lot of different kinds of art and and you have to really it's it's interesting how different people look at it and perceive it and yeah it's it's a different world altogether such a different world to be in any form or or to be a part of any any creative process is just for me I think it's it's beautiful thank you so much Sharon I've really enjoyed talking to you and and if I've asked you some ridiculous questions please do it I I loved them I I could talk to you for hours but I feel like I bore you and your listeners Uh, I think it's just no it's it's been very educative uh, I'm sure for my listeners and also I mean if you have any with your experience if uh, you have any tip for young artists because I have uh, you know the the demographics of of my listeners includes young creative people as well so if there are any tips that you could share I mean I think it would be very valuable Well, I would just say first, you can get these books through Amazon or even livesustain.org or my website, SharonLoudon.com. And I split all the royalties with all the artists. So it was never a money-making venture. A publishing never is. But those books are meant for artists of all ages, but especially young artists feeling that they may not have a footing as to what the real artist life is like and if they can identify with it. But the other thing I would say is in the the wonderful words that you were expressing or, or sharing about how all the arts are so beautiful, as you said, um, I think that uh, the all of the arts are within us and they're creative in different ways. I think the culinary arts are Oh, incredible. And people, especially during this time of the pandemic, ad- ad- adapting and adopting the, the wonderful arts or, or just even in the vision of uh, organizing and designing and it comes in all different aspects. So, so I think what an artist does is may lead the way in creativity and sharing through their visual vocabulary, contributing, like I said, to the well-being of others, perhaps if it's just pictures on a wall that 
that are there for wandering or comfort or, you know, aesthetics are political too. So maybe some messages that come through that people can learn from, share opinions, create conversation, discourse. Oh my gosh, there's just infinite amount of ways, but everyone can have their creativity. And I would just say for the young person, tap into and know what they love. And we have such a short life, dive in. And and the artist community is this open, welcoming community. Um, If anyone ever has a question, they can contact me through my website. I also have a mailing list where I share opportunities. We're about to send a a mailing in mid-February, so you can go on my newsletter or or subscribe. And, you know, I would just say reach out. And I I hope I I try to to write every single person who writes me back. It takes me some time, but yeah, um, that's that's incredible because I think. You know, you're, you're, you want to share your experiences, your knowledge, and you're open to do that, which is a fabulous quality. <laughs> well, thank you. I think it's just, uh, I think as human beings, we naturally want to do that. And that's what you're doing here on this podcast. I'm just grateful. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you. Really enjoyed talking to Sharon. She has so much to share and is such an inspiration for visual artists and also doing such incredible work. Hope this episode has been a fun listening. Do join me, Pyle, next Friday for another story. Until then, stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.